HHW presents Thor, Volume One, by the Legion of Dudes. died in a hang gliding accident. What an idiot. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of... Dude, where's my car? Where's your car, dude? I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. I refuse to let us go down in history as the dudes who destroyed the universe. <laughs> And now, here's the dudes. Welcome to A Half Hour Wasted Presents Thor by the Legion of Dudes. I'm Adam Reed, along with my fellow panelists and cave dwellers at the Legion of Dudes. Now 100% Adam UMAC free. Introduce yourself, guys. Hey guys, this is Ken Morgan. This is Russell Latham. This is Jim Dietz. And this is Johnny M. Uh, thanks for tuning in to our one-shot episode of J. Michael Straczynski's Thor. Interact live in this spoiler-filled roundtable discussion and analysis of J. Michael Straczynski's epic reinvention of everyone's favorite Asgardian. Visit the Half Hour Wasted Forum at thecomicforums.com where you can post your thoughts on all aspects of Thor and what is truly the pinnacle of online communities. Send your comments to us via email and at comments at legionofdudes.com. Hey guys, what's going on tonight? Not too much. I think Jim has a uh, little announcement he'd like to make. I would. um, This uh, coming October 24th and 25th, uh, the Legion of Dudes and Half Hour Waster will be represented at a table at the Steel City Con. It's a toy and pop culture and comic con. Uh, it happens twice a year here in Pittsburgh. It'll be taking place at the Expo Mart. It's going to be the last show at the Expo Mart. So if you come to Pittsburgh Comic Con, you know exactly where it is. Uh, we're going to be there, hopefully getting some interviews for uh, Half Hour Wasted and uh, having some giveaways, some raffles. We'll have uh, episodes of the show on CD to give away. And uh, I just saw the new logo for the Legion of Dudes, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it's pretty sweet. So come see us at the Steel City Con on Friday and Saturday that week. And uh, come say hi to the Legion of Dude, which will be me. Awesome. I heard there's um, a couple of big guests, right? Ray Park and... Lou well, Ferrigno uh, and Richard I... Keel from the uh, 007 movies. And a few artists. Oh, nice. be, uh, yeah, exactly. Or EGA if you're a Mystery Science Theater fan. Um, they're going to be having uh, the first thousand people get a toy basket giveaway, I think. And uh, they're going to have a lot of uh, different stuff going on. The 501st are going to be there. They were just at a super show. So uh, come on down. It'll be the 24th and 25th at the uh, Pittsburgh Expo Mart. And come by and say hi. That's awesome. Russ, if the Cubs are in the World Series, you'll pl- probably be blowing off the Steel City Con, I would imagine. Yeah, that kind of avoid a heart attack or Ragnarok because, you know, if, <laughs> if the Cubs end up making it to the World Series, that's one step away from the apocalypse. And, you know, if they should win, I think I think that pretty much seals the deal. I know uh, back before the Red Sox won the World Series, that was, you know, the definite, like, you know, sign of Armageddon. If the, if the Red Sox and the 
in and four. World Series One in four. Time. Yeah, yeah. I can't even believe I'm on a podcast team with a Red Sox fan. <laughs> and I didn't know that when we signed you up, buddy. So I, I took you in. I'll kick you out. <laughs> well, we all can't be at the, the you know the the last game of our our home stadium, but you know, hey, Fenway's still there, so all is right with the world. Yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta uh, we're gonna move this along, guys, because I spent like 14 hours at Yankee Stadium yesterday, and I'm feeling it. I'm dragging a little bit, <laughs> but good time was had by all. Awesome, and Ken. Heroes tonight, right? So we're like seriously cramping your style. Hey man, DVR's all good. I'm gonna watch <laughs> it later and skip the commercial, so it doesn't matter. To watch it tomorrow on uh, streaming off of the internet. See what y'all do to me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a better invention than TiVo in the last 15 years. I've been mean to get it, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. As soon as you catch up with your monthly reading, maybe. Yeah, or all <laughs> the DVDs on TV I have to to watch. <laughs> nice. All right, fellas, tonight we tackle JMS's new Thor relaunch. The book is, again, written by JMS, J. Michael Straczynski. It's drawn by Oliver Koypel. Is it Koypel? Koypel? Anybody know how to say that? Koypel. I would say Koypel. Yeah, that's right. what it looks like to me. Yes, and uh, inked by Mark Morales. And this was a big relaunch for a character because Thor had left the Marvel Universe during the Avengers disassembled storyline. The Avengers were going through their demise, and all of the separate solo books had the disassembled label on it, and um, they were telling their own story of how things went down. Thor's book was a little different. Thor's disassembled book really had nothing to do with the Avengers. It it told of the demise of Thor himself. Mild spo- spoilers coming up for Thor disassembled trade. It, it leads right into the new book, so I think it's important to cover. It was issues 80 through 85 of Thor. And uh, in a nutshell, what happens is Loki, the crazy half-brother, uh, the wacky guy that we love so much, he comes across the mold to create Thor's hammer. Real quick quiz. I want to go around the room. Everybody pronounce Thor's hammer. Ken? Molinier. Russ? Mjolnir. Jim? Mjolnir. <laughs> uh, I think you're all wrong. It's I looked it up, and phonetically it is Mjolnir. Mjolnir. You don't say the J. I guess it's uh, one yeah, of those. silent. Yeah, we'll have to ask you, Mac. He'll probably tell us we're all wrong. But I was going to say, who, who says we can't be educated without me, without you, Mac, on the line? <laughs> we can yeah, be educated. So anyway, so Loki finds the mold for the hammer, and he basically creates copies of the hammer and hands them out to all of the enemies of Asgard. And this is Ragnarok again. This is the cycle. Once again, the, the gods are going to die, and, and it will begin again. Thor decides that this cycle doesn't need to happen, and he's gonna he's gonna break the cycle by challenging the gods. And um, in doing that, he ends up he does break the cycle, but it doesn't start over again. So Thor ends up in the void, and Thor is no more. That leads us to um, and a reference Ken on this. That leads us to the Road to Civil War, the Fantastic Four issues, right, Ken? Yeah. The the next time I think this is the next time we're gonna see. Any reference to Thor in the in the comics now? Any real reference that might be talked about him is I have Fantastic Four number five thirty six, five thirty seven, and five thirty eight. Now five thirty six and thirty seven were under the trade dress of the Road to Civil War. This was the run up to the Civil War storyline. 
Uh, the storyline is called The Hammer Falls, and it opens up with a prologue set six months in the past. There's a streak of light. Something's coming towards Earth. Something crashes, and we find in Oklahoma. Uh, we have some instances with, uh, uh, with the Fantastic Four and, and other flashbacks of what was going on in the world leading the Civil War, but then the Fantastic Four are alerted to a situation in Oklahoma. There's a military base of some sort. It's under attack by, of all things, Doombots. Now, up until this point, Dr. Doom has been exiled in, in hell. That's where Reed left him. Um, so they find this base in ruins that uh, is being attacked by these Doombots, and uh, they fight and take him down. Uh, I'm just skipping ahead until we find a word. We find that actually Doom himself is there, and Reed is surprised. Doom, but it's not possible. Uh, Doom goes to explain that six months uh, while they tried in vain to move, that which cannot be moved except by someone worthy of the task. You know, Reed suddenly realized what he could possibly be referring to, and the last page is a huge splash of nothing but Thor's hammer, where we can read, whoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. So clearly Thor's hammer has arrived back on Earth. That leads us into Fantastic Four 537, where um, in a rather civilized conversation, Dr. Doom and Reed Richards had this academic discussion of how Doom escaped hell. And basically why, while he was fighting for his life, a portal of some sort opened up, and Thor, or excuse me, Doom, witnessed Ragnarok. He saw the events of Thor disassembled Ragnarok that uh, John had just described, and Thor's hammer, and I'm just interpreting here, I'm not really reading to, to be sure exactly what happened, but it seems like the hammer ripped through the fabric of space and was traveling through dimensions of sorts, and pretty much in its wake, Doom is pulled from hell back to Earth. So when we saw the streak of light that was the hammer, Doom also escaped hell at that point and landed somewhere else on Earth. Spent the, the following six months trying to find the hammer. Finds in Oklahoma. We're back where we, we started. Uh, the Fantastic Four and Doom fight. Doom eventually gets away from Ben. Gets a hold of the hammer. Of course, Doom cannot pick up the hammer. Loses interest in Lee's. Ben, of course, <laughs> takes his shot at it. He's like, well, I got I to gotta try just in case. So now the hammer's there. But then we get to the epilogue. And this is where it really starts to get... You know, interesting for the Thor fans, and this is where it really starts to kick into what we're going to talk about today. We, we go back to a scene in, I believe, New York City, where there's a nondescript man. He's, he's wearing a hat and a coat. You really can't see his face. He's buying a bus ticket, a one-way bus ticket, to Oklahoma. And the only clue we have to his identity is this guy. He has a, a, a bag, a knapsack, and on it are the initials DB. DB, of course, is Donald Blake. So that is the uh, the last thing we're going to see from uh, that for a little while until we get back up to... The next issue, 538. Meanwhile, again, this is all in the midst of the Civil War uh, that's going going on within Marvel. So it's a very small blip in an otherwise big, big field. We get to 538 and um, caught up in the midst of, uh, of Civil War. Johnny Storm is injured. Ben is talking to an injured Johnny Storm, telling him the story of what's going on in Oklahoma. And we find that people have coming from miles around from all over the world for their shot of picking up the hammer. And, of course, none of them are able to do it. Eventually, we get to the very end, the epilogue of sorts of this issue, where that bus arrives, and our friend DB gets off the bus, you know, makes his way to the to the hammer, cuts in line, gets to a fight with all the guys trying to have their shot. He's able to dispatch them pretty quickly, but this is where he gets a hold of the hammer. Of course, huge explosion, light lightning, and he flies away, you know, making you think Thor has returned. And that is exactly what we think happens at the end of Civil War number 3. Right. So th this was a great, you know, this was part of the reason why 
Thor showing up in Civil War was such a dupe and it was so believable because if you were reading The Road to Civil War, you fully expected it to be Thor. You know, you get to that, that you hit a lightning, you're like, you know, can't be. And the last splash page of that issue number three, there's Thor with his hammer. I mean, it's as far as you know, that's Thor. Of course, in four, we find out it's it's not Thor. I'm going to reference Jim on, on this one because I know he's an, uh, an old Thor fan. N- no stress on the old part, just the Thor fan. Um, nice, buddy. <laughs> Donald. Don't do that alone. <laughs> D- Donald Blake. You know, I didn't say one thing about RoboCop yet. You're already going with the old jokes, okay? Seriously. It's, it's early in the show. Donald Blake had been separated from Thor years before this, correct? So the end of Thor's single issue run, he wasn't one with Donald Blake anymore. Is that correct to say? I think he was. I think he was on an entity onto his own. They had uh, gotten rid of the Donald Blake at that point. Right. So, so well, readers. From how I read in, from how I read into it, for a long, long time, I'm not sure how long back, Donald Blake had been the one who had been uh, in the void, and that's and that's how this issue starts as is them. Of course, meeting, but that's kind of where he's been. He they, he doesn't really Thor doesn't switch back and forth right. at that point. So uh, yeah, the character hasn't really hadn't really been explored in a long, long time. Right. So at this point, as a reader, you know you haven't gotten to the new Thor series yet. So if you have any history with the character, you're wondering how Donald Blake is even around right now. Well, the cool thing for me about this, first of all, I run really hot and cold with Straczynski. He either really blows me away, like uh, falling, like uh, falling stars, or uh, supreme power, or I really just dislike him, like uh, his Spider-Man run. But what I really enjoyed about this miniseries was I really haven't been, I didn't really follow Civil War in every uh, tie-in and everything. I only read the trade paperback of the actual uh, miniseries, and I haven't really kept up with Thor probably as much as I, I have other characters. And coming into this uh, miniseries, you know, relatively fresh, it, it, the first issue is a really good sum up of where you know Thor is and uh, where he's going. It, it really is, and when we get into the we start getting into the main into this book we're talking about uh, this Thor volume one and specifically issue number three. That issue number three, uh, where he confronts Iron Man, is a direct result of what happens in that Civil War issue number four. We find out that it's not in fact Thor, even though we were led to believe it could have been. It's actually a clone that was created by Reed Richards and and Tony Stark. It's a it's a the Hammer's technology. And they also basically lose control of of the clone, or Clore, as he's affectionately known. <laughs> yes. Uh, so as, as soon as this series started, every, one thing everybody wanted to know was when is uh, when are we going to see the big that big throwdown between Tony and and Thor? And we definitely get, are going to get it. Okay, so I guess this is a good spot to jump right into issue one, where we start with Thor in the void, dreaming of things that have happened in the past. We get Donald Blake's side of it, too. It kind of does a nice back-and-forth visual there on the first couple of pages. He was a man dreaming he was a god, and he was a god dreaming he was a man. And they kind of go back-and-forth between Thor's visuals and Donald Blake's visuals. What do you guys What do you guys think of the art? I mean, just to, you know, if we're going to start out and, and talk about it. I mean, what do you think of, of um, Coypel's rendition of, of Thor with the new costume and the new look? And everything. It's it's seemed to be themed based on the costume I've always known. My biggest thing that threw me off was just the general shape of his face, which is going to sound odd, I guess maybe, but I, it just wasn't what I remember from Thor. I don't even mean the full beard like the Ultimate Thor. It just seemed off to me. It's for some reason. I've got I've since gotten used to it, but that was striking to me when I first read this. It they, seems like he has a really flat nose, and yeah. his eyes are kind of yeah. further uh, set apart. That's kind of exactly how I felt about it. It's not really what I uh, was used to seeing 
uh, with the character and, and past things I've seen, but something I did start to notice throughout as I went on the issues is um, they're almost extreme features of Donald Blake in a way. There's a, a couple pictures where um, you can you can tell that that there's I don't know how to put it exactly, but I know exactly what you're saying though. Yeah, uh, I'll have to find the page as we're going through this. But uh, there's a couple of scenes where you can see Thor and Donald Blake, and you can right, definitely right. see that that Thor is is an image of Donald and vice versa. I'm going to throw this out there now. You know, I feel that a big theme in this book is humanizing Thor. And, you know, we're going to find a lot of passages and, and pages where they literally and figuratively try to bring Thor down to Earth and make him a more human-type character. So maybe this is part of it. You know, he's not the perfect golden boy god that he's been in the past. He's a norm. You know, he's more of a normal human. His face may not be perfect, and he may look more like... Donald Blake, regular guy, than Thor, you know, the golden god. One of the things I wanted to mention real quick that uh, JMS does in this series uh, is kind of a throwback to the novel uh, American Gods, uh, written by Neil Gaiman. I love where that the book. God, yeah, where the gods are, like, dependent on their believers for their existence. Because at the beginning, he's like, uh, I'm, I'm a, god, a man who dreamt he was a god. I was a god who dreamt he was a man. And later we realize that, you know, that Donald Blake and Thor are tied to each other and that one has to believe in the other. There's a great line to that to that very end. And you're absolutely right. It really does harken back. I thought of that book when I was reading this. I just want to find, look, because it's, it's not only symbolic as I read it initially. It's not for the gods to decide whether or not man exists. It's for man to decide whether or not the gods exist. Oh, and there's another line about how God, gods live in the heart of man. That wasn't simply a figurative, although it was. It, 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 we were going to find that's literally what's happened. Gods are living in the heart of men. That really is what sold me on the book was, was the, search for, the search for his fellow gods. And I almost dropped it before we got to that re- realization. Right. Yeah, there was like like you said, it totally reminded me of that novel, especially the you know the gods living within men, um, the whole thing about uh, the gods being dependent on their believers and uh, that kind of concept. But I really enjoyed that book, so I didn't mind seeing it here, and it makes total sense in the context of the character of Thor, especially where Thor is in the Marvel universe right now. The next few pages after that uh, first introduction to Thor, uh, they start up with the um, uh, showing Donald Blake. These are some of my favorite parts uh, in the book. For one, I really like uh, that, unlike a lot of other Marvel comics, this is taking place in middle America, which is something you really don't see too often. And I also, I love the uh, interaction he has with the desk clerk at uh, at the hotel he's staying at. Uh, everything she's asking him, she's just making small talk, and he's answering uh, double yep, right. double meanings the whole time. It's I think it's great conversation. I, I think my favorite, my favorite line is, bring any bags with you? Tons. Yeah, baggage, <laughs> right. Just to backtrack a little bit before we move on with the issue, I just wanted to say that this is where we learn the answer to the question that you know we started with. Donald Blake explains to Thor in the Void that because Thor had broken the cycle of Ragnarok, it basically released Donald Blake from the Void. So that's that's the one of the major changes that you know by Thor breaking the cycle. Now it's released Donald, and that's what allows Donald to touch the hammer and, and bring Thor back on his own terms, which is huge in the whole scope of the story. 
Plus, I mean, yeah. at the very end of this issue, it's very much like, I am Thor, I'm back, I'm here to kick rear ends. Chew bubblegum, but I'm all out of bubblegum, you know. Right. I mean, there's that giant page with the crack of back of doom on it and the giant uh, lightning and then right. this big uh, thing at the end. It's really cool. I, I like the new costume. It, it, it makes a little more sense than the old, you know, four dots or whatever because it's actually armor. Right. right. I like all, all the... Uh... All the costumes in this are great. They're really, uh, they really look like a medieval costume and not something really invented. Something that is really uh, feasible and and makes sense to wear in battle. Right. It's not spandex or a miniskirt or well, right. Thor, Thor would look funny in a miniskirt anyway. But now, most of Thor I've re- read before is in the Ultimate Universe. So this is definitely uh, totally different than that as well. I believe he has the beard in the ultimate, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and the introduction is totally different with him. Is he, isn't he like supposedly everyone thinks he's crazy or something like that? Right. And the powers come from uh come from tech. Right. Um, yeah, but at the end of Ultimates two, they kind of ah that that. that 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 we're gonna get to Ultimates two one of these podcasts. One of these years. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> But, hey, Jack uh, wasn't here to spoil something, so you know I had to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know this is different. Um, you know, Reed was just saying that this is different than any Thor you know that he's seen before. I mean, this is I think different than any Thor than that anybody's seen before. I mean, Thor in Oklahoma, you know, having you know, and Donald Blake's having breakfast at this little diner here in the beginning of issue two. I mean, I'd say this is new territory for the character in general. Let me say that now, looking back, I absolutely love the whole run. I'm loving the series. At the time, when I'm reading issue number two, that's when I almost dropped it because, frankly, that's not the Thor what I was expecting or I wanted to read. I had never read a Thor comic. I was really getting excited to read the Thor I always heard about in Asgard. Not Asgard on Earth as it became, but I wanted to see Asgard at Rainbow Bridge, the whole deal, and I wanted to really read and try to get to get into it. Now, that said... As we got into issue three, and I saw what they were doing with it, I'm like, all right, this is working for me now, and I'm loving it now. But at the time, I almost dropped it because, again, it was not what I was looking for. And I think I think that's part of their strategy. I mean, I think Thor has become a character that was a little inaccessible for readers, and, you know, he had that, as, as we were saying earlier before the show, you know, he has that Superman syndrome in terms of how can you make him interesting. You know, he's a god. He's all-powerful. And, you know, for a lot of his uh, major stories, he was in Asgard and then Frost Giants and, and you know, uh, I don't know. Give me something else that Thor used to fight, Jim. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Went off in space and uh, befriended Beta Ray Bill and became a god of thunder all on his own. Uh, under the Waltz Mountain Run, he became a frog. Yeah, there was, uh, I mean, there have been a lot of attempts to try to humanize Thor uh, and bring him down to Earth. But I think this is probably one of the most successful uh, like you said, literally and figuratively bring him down to earth. Right. And I, I do like the – one of the great things about this series is the reactions of the people in Oklahoma to the fact that there's this giant mythical kingdom growing out in that field out on Route 8 or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's just uh, – it, it's uh, it's really kind of funny because it's a whole other dimension that you – I mean, it's one thing to see Asgard depicted in a comic book. You're like, yeah, that's nice. But to see Asgard through someone's eyes – who's been living, you know, dirt poor in Oklahoma all their life or whatever, it gives it a whole uh, other dimension. Right. Here's my favorite scene. My favorite scene in issue two, though, is uh, is when the owner of the land arrives to uh, chase Thor off his off his land. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Thor Back leads him into the truck. The... <laughs> what? Back, Back up the truck. Right now. <laughs> 
One one thing I'd like, and uh, just to catch it before we move on with issue two, is it's the second page of issue two. So the first page you got the splash of the diner, and then right on page two, it the top panel. It starts off with uh, you know Big Bill, Little Bill, and and Bill Junior in the picture. You know, as we read on, we find out a little bit more of what they're going to do with the Bill Junior character, and I think it's kind of a little parallel to Thor and Odin. You know, Thor is he's trying to go his own way and, and he's broken the cycle. And here you have Bill Jr. in the photo and he's supposed to run the diner and you know and, and he's third in his line. But as we find out, you know, Bill Jr. has something a little interesting going on. And I think there's a little parallel between the characters here. Yeah, for sure. One of the things, you know, my past experience with Thor, I kinda read it when he had that run with the Avengers in the mid mid-80s, and then I, I got those two issues that crossed over and had a big play in the Mutant Massacre, but at that time, he was kind of the, the gruff construction worker persona when he wasn't Thor, as opposed to um, the Donald Blake. So that I think that was the kind of the second time they tried to go around with, you know, making him a little more human, but even uh, Was that Thunderstrike that, that you're referring to? Uh, yeah, Eric Masterson, Thunderstrike? Well, yeah, I think before that it was he, his his persona was Sigurd Jarlson, which I think they then morphed into. The, right, the I forgot about that. Yeah, and uh, but he was still this big, hulking, you know, bearded, um, long-haired guy. I mean, he still basically looked like Thor, just dressed like a construction worker, um, you know, and, and carried, you know, I think he even carried the hammer around with him. Um, which, as they go through this again, they're kind of going back to the roots and updating it some. So he's he's back to being a little more humbled. Um, this time it seems like almost by his own choice as opposed to, you know, the first time when he was Donald Blake when Thor kind of thrust it upon him to teach him humility. Um, so, again, he's back to having that, that side of him that's a little more human and a little more humble, you know, to, to – to, to, again, like you're saying, John, to kind of bring him back to earth and and make him a little more grounded, as opposed to this, you know, this god that everybody looks upon. Right. What do you guys think of the? You know, Chris Eliopoulos is doing the lettering on this, and to me, I mean, lettering always it, it's it's sometimes almost like colorist, where it kind of gets pushed to the background. Unfortunately, there's a lot of times where those two are very important. But Eliopoulos always does some awesome lettering, um, and this this issue is no exception. You know, the switching back and forth between the regular folks talking and then the, the Asgardians talking, you get the, the, the old English style type. But the other thing that I noticed is on the sound effects, all of the, you know, quote sound effects all have the, 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 the font style um, being used is really cool. And it's, and it's very subtle. Like it's not these big blocky, you know, bold colored letters. It seems like a lot of these, these sound effects, the big ones are kind of in that, in that lettering style, but the transparent, um, to some degree, and I just they just really stand out. My thing with the lettering is we're not being hit over the head with, with the these and the thous of Shakespearean type like we talked about earlier, yet because of the way he, he letters Thor and the other gods, you, there's a grandeur, there's a greater-than-life tone to their speaking that you don't, you don't need. They can speak in plain English, but it's more, you can tell it's more than that. So that really yeah. conveys a, a sense of presence of godhood. Uh, yeah, even as a kid, the whole Shakespearean English thing bothered me because he was supposed to be a Norse Viking god. Why is he talking like he's from England in a Shakespeare? You know, the half and have I mean, have at the is cool, but you know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in the '60s and the, especially the Stanley runs full of uh, 
you know, Shakespearean pronunciations. But uh, I, I totally agree with you, Ken. This, um, the way they have the lettering in here really gets that across without having to drown you in, you know, past tense verbs and whatnot. Absolutely. Okay, so I just got to say that that two-page spread of Asgard on oh, issue two. I mean, can you imagine owning that? I, I would frame that. That's so beautiful. It's so nice. And it doesn't, I mean, it's a little Kirby-esque or whatever, but it doesn't really copy it at all. It looks more medieval. You know, it looks almost more like Lord of the Rings than uh, Kirby's Asgard. You know what? I I truly thought between that and then the when, when he raises above the ground, you see more of the mountain beneath it. it, it, it you think of me as Tirith. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't think of the name. That, thank you. I should have called my sister. She's the Tolkien geek in the family. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely reminded me of the giant uh, Minas Tirith at the end of uh, Return of the King. And the way it's colored, you know, you start left to right where it's, you know, the sky is clearing out and it's still kind of dark and, and dreary. And then as you pan to the right, it's, it's so much brighter and more vibrant. It's just really a stark image. Right. I love as he's walking through and exploring Asgard. He's seeing the, the ghosts of what was and he's feeling it again, even though he's in this, you know, empty city that will soon be filled with life again. And then the cops coming up to him and, you know, they're like, hey, you can't, you, you know, basically telling him you don't have a permit to, to build here and this isn't your property. And he's just like, oh, I can't build here. And they're like, yeah, that's right. And he's like, okay, okay, very well. And, you know, just without a thought, just, okay, we'll raise it up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you can almost, you know, it, it's subtle at this point, but he's just, he's respecting, he's respecting human beings at this point. You know, he... He could have easily, you know, had them hit by lightning or, you know, just said, you know, take off and they would have shot at him and he would have bounced the bullets off or whatever. But he's he's going to play their little game. He's he's the guest here. And it wasn't clean. You know, this wasn't, you know, like it maybe would have been if this was, you know, written 20, 30 years ago where they would have raised it up off the ground by it just kind of being on a flat disc or whatever. You know, they make it, you know, where he's pulling the earth up with him. So he's got, you know probably 20, 30 feet down into the earth, you know, pulled up, um, you know, so it, it doesn't, it's not this, just this clean, um, you know, lift. So it, it's still kind of got that earthy feel to it. We're coming up on, uh, he has a conversation between himself, Thor, between Thor and, and Donald Blake about, you know, what to do next from still an empty city. And this is the line I was looking for earlier where it, it, it plays out almost figuratively, but he means it literally. Then I, you know. It's for morals to say whether gods exist, and I say they live on in the hearts and souls and minds of mortals. They only need to be found and awakened. You know, we, again, we'll find that literally these gods are in there, are in humans, and that's where they've been hiding since Ragnarok. That's where they've been, you know, uh, laying dormant, if you will. Right. Do, does this parallel? Uh, I haven't read all of Final Crisis or uh, with the new gods thing, because I was reading, I read the first few issues, and it seemed like some of the new gods were also hiding in human form. Some um, of the, the the gods of of apocalypse have been doing that but a little more sinister they're aware of where that what's going on they're in control here they're just lying dormant unaware of who they are these humans live in their lives not knowing that they that they're feeling the effects of having this extra burden but they don't understand why you know the humans are in control whereas in final crisis the gods of apocalypse are are in control and basically just using the the humans as as their hosts almost like a parasite at least that's been my interpretation of what i've read so far yeah, I'm trying to wait for the trade on that, but well, sorry for giving too much detail on that. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. So then we come to issue three, which you know is really a huge issue in this series, and it uh, it brought a lot of people to the series. I think you know here we're, we're going to get the big showdown between Iron Man and Thor that we've been wondering about since the Claw incident. You know, real interesting to me that it starts in New Orleans. 
Um, you know, what better way to bring the Thunder God into real world, you know, down to earth situations than to a real world tragedy? This this reminded me a lot of the Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-six, the nine-eleven issue. You know, people actually ask Spider-Man, "Where were you? Why were you? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you stop this?" And that's really the the confrontation that these people are having with Thor. You know, and it's it's it's, it's almost jarring to have this real life disaster take place in this world with heroes because honestly in a world with heroes they could have overcome it so why why didn't they it's you know that was what just the most about reading the that means spider-man issue was you know it's it's like like could something like that still happen in a world with heroes and you don't want to i almost don't want to think about what could have happened if there were heroes right everything the everything the uh, the guy with the stick says applies uh to thor and asgard as well people died on account of you you got yeah. to set it right if you couldn't save our past then you've got to save our future and what we find out later on in the issue uh the significance of why he's saying this to thor and it's exactly the same uh, yep. with asgard you know he has to save the future of his own uh, uh city and people the, the the guy with the stick i mean when you find out who he is later on it seems almost obvious here you know, had I known more of the background, I know more of of the of the the Asgardian gods. I would have realized who this person is supposed to have been. It just seems obvious, especially when they have their final conversation on the bridge at the end. It's like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. I like his answer though. He's like, I was dead, and then the guy's like, well, maybe so. <laughs> well, you still, still should have done something. Yeah, death is no excuse. Right. I like the way um, you know they. They tie civil war in into this, um, you know, with Thor saying, you know, if if you weren't busy, I think it's Thor that says it to Iron Man, but that you know, if you weren't busy fighting each other, you know, you might have been able to do something about this. Um, and and you know, Marvel just does a good job of 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 tying in a major event. You know, Civil War. Not everybody loved Civil War, and it wasn't perfect, but. It, at least we can say it had lasting effect on a lot of different books. Um, you know, there's still we're still dealing with civil war. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think that was the fear with civil war is that it would just be one of those things that would be done and undone. You know, basically once the you know once the miniseries was over, maybe it might stick for a couple months and then it would just all kind of fizzle. And they've well. I think to some degree it has a little bit, but they've done a pretty good job of keeping it at the forefront and still. Yeah. Well, so, Civil War and, and House of M before were really just preludes to Secret Invasion. Yeah, yeah. No spoilers, though. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love the spread. Uh, there's a two-page spread. I don't, I don't have page numbers on my hardcover, unfortunately. But, uh, you, you know, Iron Man is just kind of like circling Thor. And just talking and, and talking and talking, and Thor just has this look on his face, you know, tempt almost, right? And like I'm tolerating and, you, right? And and Iron Man, you know, Tony is is he really thinks he's laying the law down? You know, it's real simple. You either work with the government for the government, or you're against the government. There's no middle ground. And you know, he really believes that he's going to have some kind of say in how Thor goes from here on out. And then, you know, when you turn the page and see Tony get hit by lightning, <laughs> you realize yeah. that Thor is not going to have any of this. This is where you really kind of see his response to the whole cloning thing. I mean, it's just like, you know, he's letting it build, letting it build, letting it build. And then it's like, okay, enough. Now, you know, I've let you had your rant. I let you had your rant. And, you know, now it's time for me to, to kind of lay the smack down on you for basically cloning me and making people think that, you know, I did these horrible things and, and 
and all that. Right. And and poor poor Tony gets to be the jerk again. You know, he he starts off with, uh, you know, you and I were friends for a long time and good to see you back. And, you know, Thor throws it right back at him. You know, is this how you treat a friend? You, you know, you clone me and <laughs> take my genetic code without permission. And when, and when they he really starts to fight and Tony really throws, a, you know, on Thor throws the first punch. But Tony really gives him all he's got and he really thinks he can take Thor down. But as Thor says, like the only difference is I'm not holding back this time. Right. And he lets he lets Tony have all of it and really just disables him. I was just going to mention through this whole sequence, there are some artists I know, like uh, John Cassidy is, is a good example, who really do a lot with uh, and Dave Gibbons actually, as we look at Watchmen too, really do a lot with like uh, camera angles. And I say that with quotes because I mean obviously there's no camera, but if you look through this whole uh, sequence that we're talking about. I mean, the the shot of the light, you know, the lightning in the background over the house, Thor slowly pulling a hammer out from behind his back, more lightning gathering now, you know. And it's just the, the different camera angles and the way he, he expresses the scene, it just, it's dynamite. I really enjoyed it a lot. No, it's actually, that's that's the exact phrasing you, that, that would apply to the camera angles. Yeah, the art is fantastic. Yeah, some artists are very good at drawing people and places and things, and then some have just a very cinematic eye. And I could really see that with this uh, this guy, uh, Coipel. I really enjoyed the art, the art and the camera angles. Tony, uh, once he gets his, his, his butt kicked and his armor is disabled, he can't even move, he suddenly finds that there is, in fact, a middle ground, too. Right. And basically treats treats Asgard as an embassy and they have diplomatic immunity, which I guess is a good solution for everybody. It's funny, though, that he had to beat him into submission before he could get a compromise out oh, of him. Well, Tony, Tony certainly, you know, we're talking about Tony Stark, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point. He's definitely not going to, you know, release the power that he thinks he, he has over Thor, only to suddenly realize he, he does not have any power over Thor. I love how he rips the, uh, you know, he rips the mask right off him, you know, almost like, look look me in the eye, you weasel, you know? <laughs> And I think I think there is a line about, you know, he says something to the effect of, you know, I'm the god of thunder, you know, not a little man in a metal costume. Yeah, yeah, he says, we're learning against the difference between a god of thunder and a mortal man in a metal suit. Yeah, Thor gives him the line, you know, if any of you step into Asgard with your little registration act issues, you know, you'll feel the power of a god. Do not let them forget what a god of thunder is and what that means. My armor's fried. How am I supposed to get back to base? <laughs> Walk. Walk. Yeah. And then the very last thing he says to him is just so awesome. I mean, one last thing. At this moment, I have more pressing business to attend to, but in the time to come, be assured that you and I will finish discussing your violation of my person, my genetic code, and what was once a friendship that I valued. Right. <laughs> and that leads us into, of all places, a bridge where... There's no better place for him to meet the meet this god, the god he's about to release. Of course, Heimdall. Heimdall was the uh, was the guardian of the Rainbow Bridge, correct? Yeah, I didn't even think about that until you said that. But yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, that's great. I didn't and, uh, I, I didn't even it, know that. So it that's... started immediately with with him challenging Thor, questioning his right to pass, and uh, and then again on the bridge, you know, basically telling him to leave, and then Thor just simply gently you know releases Heimdall from from this mortal. And there's even reference to little girls talking about how he hasn't been the same, you know, and that refers to like he's had the god, this god with him for so long, you know, it's, you know, he's changed and he's been carrying the weight and he's been acting more like Heimdall, like I said, challenging. That's just a great shot of Heimdall over the human body. Yep. 
And everybody take this the same way. This is not a relationship between the god and the human the way Thor and Donald Blake have. They were simply living in these humans. Now that Heimdall has been released, this, this boy, this man can, can go on with his life as it was, and Heimdall simply released and living on his own now. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I I would agree yeah, with that. I'm, I was I was looking quickly for um, I mean maybe we'll get to it in the next couple of issues here also. But um, do they ever show the human after the god is released? You know, just I don't just wondering if you know they get up and walk away or they. I think you know. there's I think there's a scene in an upcoming issue that we're going to get to um, where he comes across a whole group of them and there's I think. I think all of them actually might have gods gods in them. I think they were rounded up. They were targeted by something who, someone else who knew what was going on. And I think we saw that the gods were released and the humans went on their way. I don't know that for sure. We'll see when we get to it. I like that la- the uh, the last page back to back to Shield headquarters with Tony. Just the look, you know, he's he's staring at that armor like you know, I can't believe he just did that. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, he decides like you had said that he's going to be a little more understanding to uh, Thor's position. Okay, so we jump to issue four. Issue four. Right. And we're back at the Sooner Hotel in Oklahoma. That's for Bill Magano, a little uh, Oklahoma Sooner reference, right? (laughs) Yeah. And when you guys first read this part here with the guy coming up to the desk and he's asking about, you know, you know, he's looking for, you know, the doctor and all that kind of stuff. Did you at first think there was more to this guy than there really was? I really thought he was going to be somebody as well, but. That's what I thought. I thought he was yeah, either. This is one of those shots when we see uh, we, we see the Donald Blake coming down, but you can see Thor in him. We're talking about how they look very similar, almost as if they're brothers. They're they're that it's that kind of resemblance, right? And that that's that, I saw that shot. I'm like, oh my gosh, he really does look like Thor. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought the Doctor would was gonna, was going to be Loki or something. Some it didn't seem like he was telling the truth. It seemed like it was going to be a negative, you know, a negative for uh, for Donald. That's what's great about this. It almost made it like a mini secret invasion now. You know, you're wondering, well, who's that going to be? Is that going to be one of the gods? You know, is the, who's he going to turn into? You have that constant dynamic of not thinking you know who anybody is now that you've learned what's going to be happening. We're always looking for the gotchas. Right. I'm really interested in the way that he uh, he's not only building the character of Thor, but he's also building the character of Donald Blake. I mean, Donald Blake has a whole life of his own, working with uh, Doctors Without Borders and... Um, even though everything that's going on with Thor and building Asgard or whatever, that Don Blake's persona is important enough that all that can be on hold while Don Blake goes to Africa to help these poor people. Don't you guys see that as a big contrast? I mean, I didn't read a whole lot of Silver Age Thor, but I did read some of the early Avengers stuff, and I think in, in reprints through Marvel Saga or whatnot, I read it. And it almost seems like the Donald Blake persona was relegated to, you know, the typical alter ego where he was just, you know, almost like a plot device of, you know, giving the guy, uh, you know, the, the, the secret identity. So it was always, you know, him finding a way to disappear or um, to get away from his nurse or whatnot so he could turn around and, and turn into Thor. So it was almost like he was kind of like a, a throwaway character. And now they're, you know, the, the, one of the other big differences is they're, they're really fleshing out this Donald Blake character and making him just as important of a, of a piece to Thor as, as Thor is. So, you know, it's almost like... You know, they truly are two characters in one. Donald Blake had very much the uh, Clark Kent syndrome when he first started. He uh, he was basically there as a plot device to get Thor near trouble because he was a doctor. He had a girlfriend who was in love with his alter ego, but he worked with everyday uh, 
Jane Foster, I think was her name, in the original Thor comics. She was a nurse. She was totally in love with Thor, but had nothing to do with Donald Blake, just like Clark Kent and Superman. And I think in the past in, in the past few decades, we've seen them really flesh out Clark Kent. So this is uh, very much a, a good way for JMS to go, is to flesh out the alter ego, give him a life of its own. And, it, you know, it goes back to that humanizing element for the character. I mean, he's he's in Africa, and he's sweating, and, he, and he's helping... He's helping all these regular, I don't want to say regular people, but, you know, you know, he's down on the ground with these people and, you know, he's listening to his iPod and he's just like a, a regular guy doing this exhausting work. You know, I don't, I don't know that you'd ever seen even that from Donald Blake. He seemed more of a soap opera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Donald, I, I didn't, I haven't read much of the old Thor like you guys are saying, but he seemed more of like a, uh, a soap opera doctor, you know, at the time. He just kind of for appearances in his white coat and smiled and until he became Thor. Yeah, I think I think that's a good uh that's a good definition based on what you know what little I've read I would say that. And I don't watch soap operas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's your story you're just sticking to it. <laughs> so you're saying before about who you you're wondering who is this guy gonna be, who is who's the god, who's not. When we get on this page where he's in the camp, he's meeting people and he meets the three guards. It's again, it wasn't obvious to me at first, but it's so so clear now reading it again. You know, he meets these three guards, these three protectors of the innocent. They're best guards, one from Berlin, from San Francisco, and one from London. You know, of course, those three would be would be the heroes, would be the the, the gods in, in those folks. And I gotta I, I gotta interject something in here that that has I don't know whether JMS did it as an intentional tieback to Watchmen or unintentional, but one of the guys, the guy from Berlin, his name is Rolf Mueller, and Rolf Mueller, if anybody listened to Hurry's to, to Watchmen number three, Rolf Mueller was um, highly hinted as being Hood of Justice That's right. in, the, in the prose piece in, at, the, at the end of issue three. That's so, right. Wow. I forgot about that. That's great. Considering how influenced uh, like Falling Stars and Supreme Power uh, were by Watchmen, I'm sure that's not a mistake. It's a great catch. All ties back to Watchmen. <laughs> Shameless pimping. We we talk about this stuff all the time too. Speaking of the Watchmen episode, you know, like another great cinematic scene. I mean, this girl running out with the bomb. You know, the look on her face before it goes off, and then on the next page with these like I don't know what you would call them. Not rebels. What's the word I'm looking for? Guerrillas, insurgents. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like the look on their faces and the postures and everything. It's just great stuff. And again, to just tie it back to you know stuff that we're dealing with. In you know, in our world, even more closely. Again, John, like you're saying, to ground them. I mean, dealing with Katrina, dealing with this crisis in you know Africa, where you know people are you know being killed and starving and genocide and and suicide bombers and you know how how does a hero relate to all that? And you know, by bringing you know Donald Blake kind of to the street level, so to speak, in Africa as Donald Blake, um, gives it an interesting perspective. Again, another beautiful tele- uh, double page spread. Don, Don Blake scrambles for the stick, and then we see the giant thundercrack all along the uh, the double page spread. And Thor standing there in the veldt amongst the uh, insurgents right. and the guerrilla fighters. It's it's another beautiful piece of art that I'm sure is way too expensive for me to own, but really <laughs> nice. Yeah, I looked some of Coy Pell's Thor stuff up, and uh, a lot of it is uh, what's that little abbreviation for when you if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it, and they uh, yeah. they don't give you a number. They give you like uh, pi, please yeah, acquire. yeah. And if you have to ask, you can't afford it. Right. What's the deal with the hammer? I noticed, like, in the next page, he throws the hammer. Is there the, – doesn't he, if he releases the hammer, he's going to revert back? Or is that, like, a, he has to get it back within a certain amount of time? Do you remember? I think it's a time it's, – oh, I'm sorry. In classic Marvel, it was a time limit. Uh, but, I mean, he throws his hammer all the time. Yeah, I, I know. I just 
just thought of that when I saw this page of him flinging the hammer because I just had just read the uh, Thor Secret Invasion tie-in, and there's this part where he he releases his hammer, and he in there almost immediately, but he also could have willed it reverse back to Donald Blake. Did it always come back to him? Because here it seems to it's Australian. It it, it returns to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's like a, either it's either like thirty seconds or two minutes or something. If you lose contact with it for that long, he reverts. He reverts back. I can't remember what the exact the exact time limit was, but yeah, there was definitely a time limit where if he became separated from it, he would revert. Yeah, I remember that in the Avengers. I think there were uh, uh, Count Nefaria, or one of the stronger uh, villains they would have, would take him out of the game by holding onto his hammer. It's kind of like the old you know mechanical web you know shooters for Spider-Man or. You know, whatever, where the, you know, almost like a plot device or a you know, contrivance to, to kind of take him out of the fight kind of thing. Well, as you said, he's so powerful, he's almost impossible to beat, so you need to have some sort of weakness. You know, like, that, that's his kryptonite. And the, the resolution to this whole story I found was very interesting, because when, you know, where the, where the kind of the elder shaman or the elder statesman or the tribe leader or whoever, whoever the guy is basically comes out and says, you know, you can't solve this by just going over there and opening up a can. You know, you've, you've got to, we've got to find a better solution to this because, you know, you can go over and kill everybody over there and their sons and, you know, and family members are just going to come back and, you know, five years from now and start it all over again. And, you know, the cycle will just repeat. So there's got to be some other, you know, resolution to this problem other than just, you know, just fighting. But I like the ultimate, you know, kind of, the, and at first I, I, I didn't quite get it. I mean, I got it, but I didn't agree with it. I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know, you, if you... You know, if you if you you know if you kind of stomp on them, you know, and and put the you know the fear of God in them that if you come over here, you're going to get wiped out. You know, eventually, it you know it, it's going to have an effect. But then the solution of basically open, you know, fixing the terrain to where you know invasion is no longer an option, I thought was brilliant. There's another great line too: the tribal elder and in Africa, any man with the power over life and death is a god. And these are Hogan, Hogan the Grim, right, Volstag. Volstagg the Voluminous. And Vandral. And Vandral the Brave. Yep. The Warriors the, the three. Warriors three. And that's a great splash, too. That, you know, the three of them just standing there like that. On the next page, we get a little taste of uh, Thor's uh, new abilities, I guess. He says he's a god of thunder, son of Odin, but also a son of the earth, a child of the elder goddess Gaia. And I only recently learned this. Rarely have I invoked the, the power or spoken with that voice. Hmm. But it's pretty uh, intense power, as we see in the next couple of pages. Definitely. Let me get a little foreshadowing, I guess. Um, well, Heimdall, can, he can sense the, the gods hidden among the men. Right. And he's going to guide Thor on his quest. His whole thing being the century of Asgard, uh, he, he's supposed to be eternally watchful and be able to see far, you know, farther than any of the other gods. That's why he's the guardian. So that's probably why he's able to see into the people's souls. Okay, that brings us to issue five. And we get and I a, think this one had more laugh out loud moments for me than probably any of the any of the previous ones. This is where we're first seeing starting to see the interaction of, of the gods with uh uh oh I picked up sex, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're starting to see like, you know, more people get coming interest, they're getting closer to Asgard, they installing the mailbox so they can get their mail and then delivered them deliver them their first letter. Yeah, yeah. You gotta paint the address on the on the mailbox, Asgard, one Asgard road. It just, it just cracked me up. And then the, the nice little letter that come to the to the town hall meeting where they're going to have cakes and ice cream and a little kind of handwritten, you know, we, ho we hope you can come by and <laughs> bring your friends. Yeah. yeah, bring your friends. 
Yeah, that was good. And I don't know that, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't have the background, but I don't know that that was the type of thing you would see in a Thor comic, you know, with like even the humor. I mean, it seemed just more heavy, you know, heavy material. Maybe that's just the impression I had, you know, as a, as a young teenager deciding whether or not to pick up Thor. And I think, I think that that kind of exchange is, is definitely, you know, where JMS shines. You know, this is where his influence is kind of best served in this book, where you get just that little hint of humor and that, and that you know, kind of offbeatedness, um, you know, to kind of to kind of make you chuckle a little bit. And where I don't, I don't think maybe, you know, some of the some other writers that have either been on it in the past or you know are writing now, where we'd have maybe gotten the same thing. You know, maybe like a Bendis or, you know, a Kirkman, their their style kind of lends a little bit towards that, but. So Thor gets led to uh, this restricted area. Looks kind of like an underground bunker from maybe a military facility or a bomb shelter of some sort. And he finds the Destroyer. Now I'm going to need some help with the Destroyer. I said I don't have any, any backstory in my in my memory. So who was who the, destro- the Destroyer? It's all you, Jim. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> The Destroyer was basically made for uh, someone, Thor to have someone beat up, up on. It's a magical suit of armor that's indestructible and unstoppable. Originally, it was supposed to be, I believe, one of Odin's guardians, but then was thwarted or taken over by Loki, and it was used again and again and again as, a, as one of Thor's foes. In fact, um, it, it's no surprise that he's here in the miniseries. He's one of, uh, you know, the, one of the few people Thor can throw down with, you know. I got to say... Um... Okay. I, I guess I'm programmed at this point to to now look for these sort of things, but on the next page after he, you, you know, you have the splash page, the destroyer walks, and when you turn the page on the bottom, you know, you have the woman in the cell looking on at the fight, <laughs> and the green eyes, you know, what came to my mind immediately, <laughs> scroll. <laughs> you know, it's it's a scroll, it's a scroll hint. I can't believe I didn't see it, you know, earlier. And, um, well, the thing about the destroyer is that it's just a mindless suit of armor. It needs to be controlled by someone uh, in a fight. And the MacGuffin for the destroyer was that it had to be someone within a certain amount of uh, space uh, controlling it. And usually it was Loki because Loki last, lacked the physical power to take on Thor one-on-one. But he could control the destroyer, and the destroyer could take him out. Now, in that scene, we're meant to suggest that, that she's controlling the destroyer, but we're going to find that – wasn't the destroyer the destroyer actually inhabited by by Balder, I believe? Right. Yeah. They they, they kind of. It, it's interesting. Um, if, if you turn the page again, you have the consciousness of Thor and Donald Blake, you know, looking on to what's what's going on, what's happening. And I, I think that's where they explain how it was possible for the destroyer to be alive. And they say that. Uh, oh no, maybe they don't explain it until it's revealed yeah. who he is. Oh, here it is. It intends to make sure that no more gods are born by killing their host, but who's inside that thing is whose. And then Thor's like, it matters not. Right. It must be destroyed. And then near the resolution, it says, now, Destroyer, no mortals can be harmed by our struggle. And the Destroyer says to him, I'm not the Destroyer, you are. And for that, die. And if you go back to what you're saying, Thor disassembled when he went against the will of the gods and everything, he's calling him on that. Right. Which is now this is the second time that Thor has been called on that um, because when he meets the you know the man with the stick in New Orleans you know and we get that double talk of how Thor killed all these people so this is this is the second time that Thor has been held responsible for uh, 
all the gods dying. And the only ones who would know anything about that at all would be the Asgardians themselves. Right. And, and I didn't, you know, when I see green eyes, I, I, you know, my X-Men brain kicks in, and whenever I see somebody with green eyes, I always think Jean Grey, so. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking scroll at all. We're led to believe this whole time that, that she's actually ended up being Lady Sif, and his he'd be reading that with his love, but we are taken by surprise by, in fact, not her, it's, it's a her, but it's it's Loki, who is now now a woman. Kind of a play on Earth X, where Thor was a woman. But I thought I thought making you know he or she was a was a brilliant stroke by by JMS because again, it, from the standpoint of the issue, it totally throws you off, and then just from the whole you know the whole you know God of Lies thing, it just it's I, I just thought that was a, a brilliant stroke moving forward. Absolutely, it's a it's a nice change. The character can be the same and different at the same time. You know, to interest more people, but still do what the character is supposed to be doing. And then that little exchange where, you know, she, Loki tries to convince Thor that, you know, basically because the cycle is broken, I have no purpose. You know, I'm, you know there's <laughs> yeah, nothing left. And the whole time in my head, I'm thinking God of Lies, God of Lies, God of Lies. Exactly. Just, yep, trickster. You know, it's all just, you know, totally, you know, she's, she's shining them on. But where, I wonder, are the others you so graciously freed? They're going for cake. Yeah. And what unfortunate day's events are not made gladder by cake. <laughs> so basically the trick was, um, as we see Doom now on the next page, let me see if I have this right. The The trick was to get Thor to do a mass uh, releasing of souls so that all of the evil ones could get out as well. Is that what they were trying to – that's what they were trying to achieve? That's what I got from it. That's what I got from it as well. Especially when he made a point of saying, you know, he's going to be careful and selective of who he, you know, kind of frees from their, you know, host. So, you know, the fact that these events took place for him to, you know, kind of be forced into releasing everybody. Yeah, I, I agree, John. That's what I got. Plus, it sets up uh, villains for future issues of the new Thor series. Right. Conveniently announced. <laughs> nice frost giant. Who's that in the third, um... In the in the the page with Doom at the bottom where he says we are agreed, that third panel in the middle, she's got kind of like cat ears. She's facing the city. That's the Enchantress. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then and we have. They haven't played their Marvel Ultimate Alliance. <laughs> and they arrive for the party, and that ends issue five. The start of issue six, we get uh, little Bill again working working in the diner, and uh, Donald Blake's having a little breakfast, it seems. And we get the <laughs> the town folk. Yeah, night, yeah. <laughs> the big news is the meeting. Yeah, the whole the whole bit about the sewage and you know sewage from Asgard. Yeah, yeah. What's a septic tank and what's a sewer system? Yeah. And then I love it. He goes, he goes. These are it's that is to say these are components for indoor plumbing. And he goes, ah. And what's that? It's like, oh, okay, I see. And then he still doesn't get it. And they're all starting to get uncomfortable, like, okay. Um, and finally, at the end, schedule sanitation and safety code inspection for Asgard. <laughs> <laughs> and right right before that, you get uh, some people at the meeting saying, well, at least we know what that uh, we know what's been causing that pungent wind from the south I was telling you about. Because <laughs> Asgard has no plumbing. But the goats used to love it. Yeah. 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 I don't know how we get these kind of stories, you know, from the townsfolk where they kind of relate to, you know, what, you know, what their perspective um, of what's been going on since these gods have, 
kind of resided in their in their town and while Thor's, you know, was off doing his thing, he kinda of get these retelling of, you know, a couple townsfolk and what they've come across. Right. I love Hogan with the you know, the boars on his the back boars, and yeah. and From helping them with the flat. Yeah. And again, you know, I think it's it's bridging that gap a little bit. You know, you have the god doing very godlike things, but he's gonna stop and, and help them, you know, fix a flat tire. Plus he answers all the little kids' questions, you know. Right. I don't see any yeah. gunshots. It was not shot. Not, I struck it. You hit it. I knocked it out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how come you don't? You know, then he goes to that. How come you don't punch out a boar? You know, it's just kind of <laughs> this god comes up and he's showing up as old man. Then you have that classic. It is my hope to be the first Asgardian with a tan. That was <laughs> <laughs> great. Hey, sorry to wake you, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, uh, little Bill is uh, taken with Kel- with Kelda, have a nice little conversation. And, Going right uh, back to what John was saying about the the humans and the gods interacting. I love the end of the uh, interaction with that whole thing when he's back at the diner, kind of reminiscing. And he just says to himself, almost, "A bird can love a fish, but where would they build a house together?" And there's Donald there with the answer on the edge of the river. Maybe so, Doc. Maybe you got something there. So he's thinking, maybe I should pursue uh, the fair lady. And that got played out in future issues uh, in the series. Yeah. Read volume two for more. Yeah, I've only, I'm, I mean, I got this monthly for a while, so I'm up to, I got through issue seven, um, and I'll probably, I'll probably either flip over to trades or I might even just backfill them the monthly because I was liking it, but I just had to make a few cuts for a little bit there. But I like how he has this conversation in the diner, basically with himself, you know, in, in the cool kind of effect, you know, that we're being, you know, this kind of backlit or overlit or whatever and you know, he's just kind of having a conversation with himself in the diner it's funny how the people then say nice guy but is it me or was he talking to himself <laughs> so it's not kind of in his mind he's actually speaking aloud to thor yeah or the fact that they would pick that to you know of all things going on lately you know this this big castle floating in the middle of nowhere these you know thor showing up these other gods showing up all this crazy stuff going on and they're you know commenting about how he's a nice guy, but he's a little weird because he's talking to himself, even though all this other crazy stuff is going on. All through this, um, the one god who we haven't heard from at all, and Thor hasn't been seeking out at all, um, has been Odin. And I've heard it when this was coming out, people have been asking on podcasts and, and other areas, you know, why wouldn't he go get Odin? Why, would, why wouldn't he get Odin? And it seemed kind of obvious, but here in this issue, they spell it out pretty clearly. Thor's trying to build something new, and he knows Odin would just simply want to go back to the old ways. So he's not in a hurry to go to Odin, but he knows he eventually has to deal with that. And that's not something we're going to deal with in, in these six issues, but it's something that will be dealt with, I believe, in the next volume. I was just going to say that the first uh, half of the issue is very much uh, down-to-earth, little character studies, you know, Hogan and the, the boar, the, uh, uh, Don Blake in the diner talking to uh, Bill and then to himself. But then the last half of the issue is just this incredible cinematic sequence of Thor um, deciding that he's going to let it all out in one blast and bring them all yep. out all at once. And uh, it goes from the very small and intimate to the very, you know, galactic almost. And the pages where Thor, after he, you know, covers the entire world with his thunder, is, is falling from heaven, you know, and impacts in the desert. And that's just it. I mean, it nearly kills him, for all we know, as how this volume ends. You know, Thor is lying, basically left for dead once he returns, crashes the earth. And, you know, he, he restored Asgard, but at what cost? The one thing I wanted to say was, you know, he, he's, when he's in the process of, of getting this, getting this underway, 
Um, you know, he's questioning himself. He's, he's almost not sure maybe what his powers exactly are now that he's broken the cycle and things are different. You know, he's saying, if I should fall, you know, find Sif, tell her I love her and, and tell her, you know, I, I fell loving her above all danger, all consequence, tell her goodbye. So he's thinking he might die from this, you know, and when's the last time Thor was afraid that he was going to die? Again, beautiful art by uh, Coppell uh, dis- describing all this. Um, the the lightning flying all around the world. The Asgardians popping up on street corners. Um, okay. Rio de Janeiro, Tokyo, the Kremlin. Great stuff. Very cinematic. Very very nice. Uh, has it, has this artist done anything else other than the Thor series, or is he new? Because no, I'm not familiar with him. So this this whole volume, like I said before, I I, I almost dropped it. I ended up loving it, and this whole volume really sets up Asgard on Earth um, very nicely, and there's some great stories coming out of it now, and, and I'm really glad I stuck with it. Yeah, and if anything, you know, I was I was rereading this and, and pulling together the show, and, and I, I wasn't quite sure about making my points, you know, about bringing Thor more down to Earth, and then you look at that last page, and... I just said, well, that's the that's the kicker. That's if, it. If you know, that's Thor down to earth right there, spread out in the dirt, maybe alive, maybe dead. I really like the way they they tied in all the history of Thor and then yet also relaunched it. And I think Marvel was really smart to like let Thor rest for a while. I mean, it didn't come right out after Civil War. They let you know Thor like kind of be gone for a while, and people you know kind of wonder what was up. And uh, brought him back right. I mean, I think it's definitely a good move on their part. I'm telling you, it, it definitely did a great job for me as, again, a new reader. Um, giving me enough to what I needed to, to learn the characters, to augment what, I, what little I may have already known about some of these characters, and really made me want to care about them. And to really make me care about the, uh, the residents of Broxton, because I, I really didn't care. I didn't want to read this, that kind of book. I keep I keep bringing that up, but it, it's just so they did a, a wonderful job writing everybody. You had mentioned uh, earlier that you were interested in uh, what Thor used to be. Do you still want to go back and read that stuff, or are you more just interested in what the future is going to be with oh, this I'm character? In the future, but I do want to read some more of the of the classic stuff. I, I haven't really looked in to see what trades are available or if there's going to be a reprinting of any type. But I'm going to keep an eye on for stuff like that. Is is there are there any uh, essentials? Out there, I no, I'm sure there are. I yeah, I there's several. I'm pretty sure there's several volumes. And this will be, I'm sure this will be the beginning of the Thor push for the, you know, 2010 film. Oh yeah, looking at Comic Book DB, it looks like he's done um, a few issues of the Avengers before, like the, I, I guess it's third series if, if you count the um, the Heroes Reborn stuff. Or, um, but I guess when they restarted the numbering after Heroes Return. Um, looks like he did speed pencil, quick help pencil, some issues in the 60s, late 60s, from 65 to 68. Um, he did a couple issues of Uncanny X-Men. Oh, yeah, he did House of M. He was the artist on House of M. Hmm. I never read House of M, sorry. That's a good read. It ties ties in very closely with the whole Avengers Disassembled um, and then the whole you know, kind of what's going on with, with the whole mutant books. It's, it's had a lot of lasting, lasting effect. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the X-Men nut, so I, I, I tend to gravitate towards that stuff anyway, but, but I thought, I thought it was pretty well done. 
Well, let me ask you this, guys. Since you mentioned the upcoming Thor movie supposedly leading into the Avengers film, do you have any uh, casting thoughts as to who would make a good Thor? Vincent D'Onofrio. Okay, who's that? Really? No. He, um, he, he, he if you remember uh, um, Adventures in Babysitting, uh, <laughs> the little girl was a, was a huge Thor fan, and the guy with the tow truck, he, we had a helmet, he, she thought he was Thor, and it, he was played by Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> He's the guy that, that the sergeant or uh, private pile in uh, Full Metal Jacket. If you saw Full yes, Metal Jacket. he was. Yeah, yeah. He's on uh, he's one of the Law and Order spinoffs now too. Yeah, Criminal Intent. Yes, that one. Yeah. The I name I always hear thrown around, of course, is Brad Pitt. I, oh. I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't. I honestly, I don't know who it could be. I just don't want to see that one. I see thrown around as a wrestler, and I don't want to see that either. No. You don't want to see Triple I think H? Carl Urban. <laughs> Carl Urban, I think, would be a really good Thor. That would, um, actually, that's a that, great that could, pick. Yeah. 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 He, he looks like Thor. Yeah. yeah. Well, he basically, in Lord of the Rings, he was Thor, pretty much. Yeah. 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 And how do you guys think Thor in, in the film is, is going to have to live in the same universe as Iron Man, Hulk, and, you know, the Avengers upcoming movie? You know, how do you see them pulling that off i mean this this storyline isn't terrible you know i was thinking if they could do a credit scene in the beginning showing thor dead in the void kind of like they did with the hulk like give the backstory in the you know opening credits and then have them fall to earth to start you know something along those lines maybe i was thinking I, about yeah I was, I was thinking about how could they, they could do the tie-in because they've tied him up just with those very simple little um, cameos at the end of, of Iron Man, at the end of the Hulk, and someone on the board said suggested, you know, just make Donald Blake be Tony's doctor, <laughs> and like that little thing would just give him a connection to Donald Blake. You don't have to beat up the the the, the godhood or the magic or whatever in at the technology move Iron Man, and you can then introduce Thor on his own in his own movie somehow tie him in with the Avengers in that, and then once you get your Avengers movie, you know, it can all kind of blend in a little bit better. That's the, the, the thing I'm concerned about, is when you get, you know, the, the technology of, a, of a, an Iron Man and even a Hulk, for that matter, with, with the, you know, the gamma radiation, tied in with the magic and, of, the, of the Thor and the gods and, and Asgard, how's it going to work live action? I mean, I, I, it's, it can be hard to make that leap. Animation, it's easy. I mean, it just works. It's, it just is, that's an extension of the comics. I don't think what, I don't know why it should be that hard with films, but just for some reason it is. Do this book pretty much exactly again with the introduction at the beginning to the character, and then uh, shift that chapter three to the end of the movie and have that as an introduction to uh, the Avengers. Have change up some of the dialogue, of course, but have Iron Man kind of confronting uh, uh, Thor. Well, they, you know, the other take they can do is kind of like what they almost like what they plan on doing with the Captain America movie, where. You know, with Cap, they're you know, from what I understand, it, the Cap movie is going to take place completely in World War II. Right. And then, you know, at the end, he gets you know frozen in ice, and that's where, you know, the Avengers kind of picks up where they find him. Almost, I wonder if they can do the same kind of thing with Thor, where they they do the Thor movie strictly as the myth- mythological Asgardian-focused type of story, and then at the end, you know, Odin casts him out to Earth to become. You know more. You know for for you know to gain humility. So that's kind of you know, maybe they can they can play off that where you know the, the Avengers movie picks up where you know this guy comes in and 
not to give away, I'm not going to spoil anything for Ultimates, but almost take the kind of approach to Thor that they took in the Ultimates with the Avengers movie, um, to where they can kind of have the, you know, almost the, you know, the best of both of both genres. But it's, it's a tough one to do because, you know, with, when you got the, you know, like you're saying, the technological and more grounded elements um, that they're they're working on for the for the for the Marvel movies to throw in this this thing that's purely magical, mythical, almost Lord of the Rings, you know, middle you know medieval kind of concept. It's it's tough because they're very they're very different genres almost. And that's the ne- that's the next movie, correct? That's the the first one we'll see in in 2010 will be Thor. I think 2010 is, yeah. I think the next or, one will be Iron Man 2, won't it? Iron Man, oh, 2, Iron Man 2 Iron Man 2 is probably also in 2010, but I think Thor 2010, and I've heard talk of Ant-Man as well. Yeah, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg are supposed to be doing Ant-Man from what I understand. And I think all of those are going to be 2010, with 2011 being, like, the spring release will be Captain America, the first Avenger, the World War II, like you're talking about, and then, like, six weeks later, you'll have the Avengers. That'll be the summer release, kind of like Iron Man and, and uh, Hulk were this year. Surprised we don't have an official Thor then by now. It's gotta be coming soon. Kind of agree with what Russ said. I mean, they've already picked uh, Samuel L. Jackson as their Nick Fury. I mean, that it tells me that they're going to be taking a lot of cues from the Ultimate. Story. Well, they're they're kind of mixing both the Six One Six and the Ultimates to make their own movie universe, which right. makes only makes sense. Borrow what works from each area, so that could be a case, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, borrow that from from that side. I think the whole uh, tech versus magic thing, though, if you played it like uh, they did in the Ultimates where you weren't sure whether Thor was uh, truly the god of thunder or just a crazy guy with a big hammer, they might be able to deflect some of that, you know, Maybe. that juxtaposition. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's so much I want to say there. but, but I wouldn't want to see that. I wouldn't want to see that in the Save standalone. it for the Ultimates episode. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see that in the standalone Thor movie. I want to see... I mean, I want to see the whole deal. I want to see Asgard, the Rainbow Bridge, the the different gods. That's I really want them to go all out with it. Oh, totally. And and the more they can set up in these solo movies, the the less they have to do when they bring them all together. You know, it it be it's going to be cool to have in a quote Avengers movie without having to worry about all the setups. You know. You know, I, just I thought. Sorry, go ahead. That's what, I think that's where team movies. I mean, the X Men was kind of an exception because there's no real you know origin for those characters, but. Um, it's tough when you have, you know, a movie where there's multiple, you know, origins, so to speak, going on at the same time. It just makes it, you know, just really cumbersome. And, and if you can kind of get that all out of the way beforehand and just get right to the nitty gritty, I think it's, you know, people are going to respond so much better. Yeah, and that's really the great thing of why they're do how why they're doing this the right way. They're setting up these characters on their own first, and then after bringing them together, so you don't have to, as you say, deal with all that origin stuff in in the one movie. When we were talking about what I was saying about uh, have it take place in Asgard, this could be a great way to tie it back to have it all be set in Asgard. And if I remember what little I know of Thor, um, Thor was bound to Donald Blake by Odin as a way to teach him about humanity or, or to somehow, not, I don't know, punishment's not the right word, but it was Odin's work that created Donald Blake and created that, that uh, relationship between the two. Is that, is that accurate, would you say? Yeah, it was to teach him humility because he humility, felt that yeah. Well, yeah, Thor was just too arrogant, too powerful, too uncaring, and he thought if he puts him in the body of this, you know, crippled doctor, that he would he would gain some humility. Well, do what I said with Iron Man: have Donald Blake be Tony's doctor, or somehow there's your connection there. Have the Thor movie end with his his not banishment, but have him end with going to Earth, 
as part of that, have it end that way. Now he's on Earth, he's tied with Donald, Donald Blake, and that's where our Avengers movie uh, comes in. And it's true, it's a way to kind of hedge their bets. It, it, in a way, you know, if you do a Thor movie and it's just totally tank, then you don't have to put them in the Avengers, you know. So they kind of, you know, they can kind of test it out and feel it out and see what... But they're a year apart. By the time the Thor movie comes out, they're already in production and probably have stuff on film of the Avengers, so that would be a little hard to do. That's true, that's true. I think they're going full steam ahead with, with the success they've had this past summer. These movies are all coming out. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully not for worse, but for better. Iron Man's, a, Iron Man's on DVD in like a couple of days away now. Yeah, yeah one week. Yeah, It'd be awesome to see if uh, Hef Straczynski uh, writes uh, the script, actually, with him being having a background in screenwriting. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I think he gets it, that's for sure. All right, fellas. I think it's time to wrap things up. Unless anybody else has uh, anything else to add at this point. Just want to shout out to Brad and Frank. Thank you so much, guys, uh, for hosting uh, the Legion of Dudes on the halfhourwasted.com. Yeah, definitely. Once again, if um, if anyone's by any chance listening to us and not listening to Half Hour Wasted, <laughs> head over to halfhourwasted.com and uh, please check them out. They're a lot of fun. If you're subscribed to us, you're getting their shows as well, so don't don't skip them. Listen to those shows. They're some great, fun shows. Absolutely. Top, top of my listening pile every week. They move right up when they when they release a new episode. <laughs> You're a listening pile? So to speak. Yes, Such and check out Ken's <laughs> and uh, Ken and Art's Too Old to Grow Up podcast as well. Come down to the forums, thecomicforums.com. Leave, leave us a message on the Half Hour Wasted thread. Shoot us an email, comments at legionofdudes.com. Let us know what you think. Want to thank paneltopanel.net for our mention on their website as well. They have a lot of really cool stuff out there. Go check them out, paneltopanel.com. Right, and that's it. I guess um, a week from when you hear this will be Watchmen Issue 4. Is that correct, Russ? That's correct. Yes. Look forward to that. One last thing. One last thing. <laughs> Harold. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>